Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 699 of the podcast and it is Friday the 23rd of June 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking about the business and craft of writing nonfiction with Stephanie Chandler. Now, Stephanie runs the Nonfiction Authors Association, and one of her books helped me start my author journey back in 2007. So it's lovely to connect with her again. We have a great conversation that also includes failure, dealing with failure, how we have both started over and over again with our businesses and other mindset issues, as well as practical tips. So it's valuable, whichever genre you write. And uh, it does remind me that if those of you who don't know my story, I had other businesses before this. I did not just leave corporate job, start author career. Everything was great. I had other failed businesses, which I talk about in um, this conversation. And Stephanie talks about her failures too. So that will be interesting. She also talks about the importance of having a plan for your author business. And if you want help with that, I have a book, Your Author Business Plan. <laughs> which also has a spiral bound workbook and you can get the bundle on my store creativepenbooks.com and in fact I'm looking at it again myself as I consider my next steps. I'm coming up to 15 years this December uh, so really thinking about that. Uh, I also have How to Write Nonfiction and that book is also on creativepenbooks.com and both of these are on all the stores in all the formats. So yeah the interview with Stephanie coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, in the hot sheet, Jane Friedman reports on the potential buyers for Simon & Schuster, which, if you remember last year, was blocked for sale to Penguin Random House, but uh, still will be sold. So this is interesting because, of course, many people listening uh, might be hybrid authors, so have some books with traditional publishers and other books uh, as indie. And essentially, when you're, and I've talked about this many times before, but essentially when you license your book to a company, there will be a clause in the contract which essentially says uh, either that if the company is sold, you get your rights back, but usually uh, that the the work will be essentially licensed or sold with that bundle of assets that is that company. And that's essentially what Simon & Schuster is a bundle of assets. And HarperCollins and KKR are interested in buying it. Uh, HarperCollins has been interested from the start. Its CEO spoke out against PRH acquiring Simon & Schuster before the deal was blocked by the US Department of Justice. KKR is also a previously interested buyer, and that is a private equity firm. So essentially, it does own Overdrive, which distributes ebooks to libraries, and uh, it did own audiobooks.com, which it sold to Storytel. In 2022, KKR was ranked as the largest private equity firm in the world. So the bids are due by mid July. A deal could be struck by the end of the summer. A deal with KKR is seen as more friction free due to the potential Department of Justice review of a HarperCollins purchase. So yeah, I mean, personally, I would think it would be much better for a publishing house to be bought by another publishing house. But um, yeah, a private equity firm may buy it. So that is interesting. 
Back to the indie world, the Alliance of Independent Authors released a new tranche of data based on the author income survey done earlier this year. Now, this analysis was done by an independent group, the same one that did the survey data for the Society of Authors report, in order to keep uh, consistency uh, over the reporting. So it's well worth checking out the details at allianceindependentauthors.org forward slash facts, links in the show notes. A couple of highlights based on the survey Self-published authors in this report earn more than the traditionally published authors in the other report. (laughs) Self-published female authors earn more than male authors. And LGBTQIA plus indie authors typically earn more than other authors with other sexual orientation, including straight authors. And 75% of book sales were part of a series for both fiction and non-fiction. So there's a lot more data. There are three uh, reports there. You can go and download those to read in detail. There's a lot in there. I found it fascinating. So Orna Ross and Mark Dawson did a session on this data at SPS Live, self-publishing show live. I'm sure many of you listen to the self-publishing show podcast as well with Mark Dawson and James Blatch. And I attended the first day in London this week. Always a great event. And thanks to Mark and James and the SPS team and volunteers. It was, uh, as ever, a great event and really good to catch up with a whole load of people, vendors and authors and it's always difficult for those of us who are introverts with, uh, you know, f- find in people conversation difficult, but it was very worthwhile. And again, I urge you to go to events, connect with people. And even if you don't, if you, if you see people occasionally at these events, you can develop relationships very slowly and you can meet the vendors, you can meet other authors and people had their genres on their badges this year. So that was good. Also, very excitingly, Book Vault were there with samples of potential merchandise that they're going to roll out later this year. And they made me a box set for my Map Walker trilogy. Yes, an actual physical box. A box box set. So the box with three novels in it. And uh, very exciting to have that. Every year there seems to be things that we've all said, oh, well, we can't do that. No one will make that for us uh, as print on demand. But Book Vault are going to do that. And of course, I will be selling these types of box sets on my Shopify store. And I think they'll be great for Kickstarters and all of this. Link, I'll link to the photo of it on Twitter. Uh, in the show notes, or you can go on my uh, Twitter at The Creative Pen. It's print on demand, as I mentioned. And yeah, it will be coming out later this year. It's not available right now, but hopefully before the end of the year, they also had uh, calendars, coasters, tote bags, and more. So they are doing the US printer rollout first, and then it get into merch. Um, Another good reason to sell direct, you can do far more than just books. And just to be clear, I use Shopify, but I have used other services. I used to use Payhip and uh, many people use WooCommerce. Other people use things like Gumroad. Uh, I am absolutely agnostic around what you use to sell direct. I'm just excited that more and more people are selling direct. So yeah, I'm just uh, encouraging you to think broader than the stores we've always used. So thanks to all the patrons I met and the people I've talked to. I really appreciate all your kind words. Some of you have been listening for years now. So thank you for that. I did go to a few of the sessions in between other meetings and have a couple of notes you might find interesting. There was a successful regional crime panel where all the authors have sold 
several million books and uh, including Mark Dawson and uh, Several of the authors said they write short chapters and they actually credit the short chapters for keeping people reading. Now, this is exactly what James Patterson does. So uh, we should definitely listen to that. James Patterson, of course, the highest earning author um, was a ridiculous number of books and amazing business uh, man. So very interesting because I have heard him say this and it was interesting to hear them. Now, I tend to write multiple short scenes within a chapter, but I'm now thinking about splitting that into different chapters. Dave Chesson did a talk on Amazon sales pages. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is he mentioned reviews with photos get particular engagement. So if you review a book from an author, and indeed, if you review one of my books on uh, on Amazon in particular, please use a photo on the review uh, because that seems to help. And of course, we should all be encouraging our, our ARC readers and our uh, fans to do that with our books. Craig Martell did a great motivational talk. Uh, and what I think is just motivational about Craig in general, he's been on the show, obviously, and runs uh, the 20 Books Vegas conference, uh, has lots of books. Uh, Craig started writing when he was 52. And now he has 24 series, 16 of them are complete. And uh, it's never too late, basically. And you can always decide that it's day one and pivot what you're doing. And in fact, Rachel McLean was on that regional crime panel. And she has been on the show talking about her five steps to author success. That's an excellent book as well. And essentially, um, you can pivot. And Rachel pivoted. She Her first books didn't really go anywhere. She pivoted into regional crime and is doing incredibly well. Craig basically said, if a series is dead, finish it, start a new one with the lessons you've learned. And I'm pretty blown away by 24 series, 16 of which are complete. I need to start thinking in complete series because uh, as a reader, I like the episodic series. So the, one, the books I still read like 20 years later, Later, are things like uh, the Pendergast series from um, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, um, James Rollins, Action Adventure, uh, you know, these types of books. Uh, Jonathan Mabry, I'm really looking forward to his latest things in his series. So I, as a reader, I like episodic series, but when they're complete, I can see how it's much easier to move on and to keep serving books in different series. While it's both a good thing, like that, the survey from... Um, uh, the Alliance of Independent Authors there, 75 books sold in series. But equally, I know with my own mind that I have so many ideas that I try and maybe sometimes shoehorn into an existing series. Whereas I feel like Craig has encouraged me to think broader than that. 24 series. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, Kate Pickford talked and recommended a book, The Happiness Advantage, which I'm now reading. It flips the idea that you have to work hard to be successful and then you'll be happy. So the happiness comes later. That's kind of how we talk about it. Well, if you do all this and you work really hard, eventually you'll do this and then you'll make money and then you'll be happy. Not that money is the only thing, but... Uh, just talking about the author community a lot of the time. But the evidence in this book shows that if you are happy, you are more likely to be successful. And this is important in writing. We need to write the books we love. We need to regain the joy. If you've lost it, then write what you love. What drives you back to the page over and over again? And if you're happy in your writing life, success may or may not come but at least you'll be having fun along the way. So I really liked that. So that book is The Happiness Advantage. 
There was also an AI panel with Hannah Lynn and Dan Wood talking about using it for text and publishing books that way. And book cover designer Stuart Bache talked about how he is using AI tools and he actually demonstrated generative fill. And he basically said a couple of things that I absolutely agree with. Uh, On the training data, it isn't stolen, it's learned, which... Absolutely. If you research how these things are trained, that's correct. And also he said, embrace AI art responsibly. And that's essentially what I've been saying. Yes, we should use the AI tools in a responsible manner. And uh, interestingly, James Batch, who was moderating the panel, asked the audience of around 600 authors in the room who was using AI as part of their author business. And around 70% of the audience put their hands up. And that was a kind of moment when I realised the truth of this. Um, And also the fact my AI webinars, which by the time this goes out, I will have already done a couple of and I've been rehearsing them, but um, they're pretty much sold out. Uh, The noisy naysayers and the doomers are the minority. It seems most authors are just getting on with using the tools and are curious as to how they can use it in their author business. So I was really pleased about that. I mean, I guess you could say that this was a self-selected group of people who are investing in their author business by attending a uh, premier conference um, and also, I guess, more interested in the business side. I'm sure I'm sure there are lots of authors who are still not interested, but that's fine. Hopefully you will eventually. And on this AI topic, Amazon sent out a press release uh, just this morning, actually, about the launch of their Generative AI Innovation Centre. Uh, so they have now launched all of this stuff going on. So back in April, I mentioned that they'd launched their own foundation model, Titan and Bedrock, which is a managed service where you can use various models through an API. Technically, it just means you can essentially use these tools in your programs. And now this is being rolled out at an enterprise level. Now, the models that they have include Anthropic's Claude, which I'm going to demo in my um, webinar, but also a lot of authors are using it. It's great. Claude is just this happy puppy-like model that also knows all kinds of things. And uh, it's actually really fun to use. I'm using it more alongside GPT-4. This is the truth of it. We're all using lots of different things. Or like Midjourney this morning just announced, uh, again, they call it Zoom Out, but it's essentially generative fill around a uh, your image. So you have an image and then you say Zoom and it will generate all around it. So you've kind of zoomed out. It's really, really cool. So there's all these things going on and, and we're just kind of picking them up as, as it happens. But um, back to the Generative AI Innovation Center, it includes options for text generation, search, text summarization, image generation, chatbots and personalization. So the things that most authors are using, which is text generation, summarization and images uh, are included in this. And what is really interesting is the foundation models can now be customized with private data. It is pretty techie stuff. But what I think is that this will enable new companies to develop that help authors and rights holders train their models on the data that is in copyright that they want to keep private. So I am very interested in this. If you are building or developing something around this uh, AWS generative AI, do let me know. Joanna at thecreativepen.com. I think these private models are the way forward. I think that we can have another income stream licensing our data to fine tune these models. I am absolutely interested in this. One of the use cases they cite on that page is improved search results on Amazon.com, as well as customers who are now using this, including Canva, 
which many of us use. Accenture, which is a consulting company that I used to work for back in the day, very big consulting company, and Lonely Planet, which of course is a publisher around uh, travel. Now, I've said this again many times, but the biggest companies in the world are implementing these tools. And it's certainly interesting to hear a quote from Lonely Planet. I was not expecting a travel writing company to be an early use case for this. But of course, uh, they own a lot of data around travel. And yeah, so the quote from the press release, which I'll link to in the show notes, says... For nearly 50 years, Lonely Planet has been committed to helping people experience the joy of travel. We are always looking for ways to tap into new technology and meet the demands of today's travellers, said Chris Wide, Senior Vice President of Engineering and Data Science at Lonely Planet. The AWS Generative AI Innovation Centre, paired with expert-driven advice, and Lonely Planet's award-winning content will enable us to provide more personalised travel recommendations, making travel more accessible for those around the world. Now, why this is interesting is Lonely Planet's award-winning content will be written by travel writers and uh, most of them will have signed contracts where all of that writing belongs to Lonely Planet. And that will now be used to train models to help them generate more content. So that is, I really think that's the first publisher I've heard of that is doing this. Interesting indeed. So in personal news, uh, I'm hand editing Catacomb right now and we'll get it to Kristen, my editor, by the end of this week. I've also been finishing the prep and I've been, <laughs> I've been preparing my AI webinars and I, I timed myself yesterday doing the whole thing. And essentially, I'm going to have to go super fast and I, I can't, I still can't cover everything. There is so much to do. And this is a two hour webinar. So um, I'm really encouraged. So I will be delivering it this this session five times to nearly 400 people in smaller groups, which is far more than I expected. And it makes me super positive about it. And I plan to do another round of webinars in August or September as it all changes so fast. And I'm, my own practices are changing almost every day. And I'm having a lot of fun right now playing with all this stuff. So yeah, my own process is shifting both for, well, just so much. And that's why I mentioned earlier, I'm really looking at sort of redoing another business plan for how I can expand my fiction brand, JF Pen, with the launch of my new Shopify store and all the things I can do with that. It's just, my, my mind is super blown and you know I'm sort of embedded all the, in all this, but I'm more than excited, <laughs> more than excited about what's coming. So, um, and in fact, uh, Kerry Gold 9600 on YouTube left a comment this week. I have to admit that whenever Joanna talked about AI in the past, my mind wandered and I just waited for her to move on to other topics. But I tried out ChatGPT and now I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm finding it invaluable to my novel research. So thank you for persisting with the closed minded among us, Joanna. Thank you, Kerry. I'm so pleased you tried it. And uh, yes, thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. Also on the interview with Damon about book funnel, Mage Prometheus said on YouTube, excellent interview. I was a software dev and got given a Kindle. It soon looked like an ordinary and Android device where I could transfer technical PDFs to read. I'm lo 
loving what Damon is doing so we don't get locked into too many of the big tech schemes. So fantastic. Remember, you can tweet me at the creative pen with a double N. Send me pictures of where you're listening. Email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. Leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So this episode is sponsored by Ingram Spark. I use Ingram Spark to print and distribute my self-published print books wide because Ingram Spark helps me share my story with the world. So why even consider Ingram Spark? Well, if you only use KDP Print, bookstores, libraries, universities and print-on-demand sites in many countries will not even consider your book because you need to offer a discount. And also, you will be in the catalogue. Plus, a lot of these places would never consider ordering from Amazon for obvious reasons. So if you care about getting your books into these places, you need to go wide with print. And remember, this is not about KU, which is for ebooks. Even if you are exclusive with ebooks, you can still do print only with Ingram Spark. And I should say, so I use for my print, I use KDP Print for Amazon. I use Ingram Spark for wide distribution and I use Book Vault with my Shopify store. So you can use all these different things to reach different kinds of people. If you publish with Ingram Spark, you will have access to over 40,000 retailers, independent bookstores, libraries, schools and universities, chain bookstores and more across a global network of distributors, including bookstores like Foils, Blackwells and Waterstones in the UK, Bookshop.org and also Booktopia in Australia and New Zealand, Chapters Indigo in Canada, Walmart, Target and loads of independent stores in the USA. Of course, it means your book will be available to order, but you will still have to drive demand. But since having my books on Ingram Spark, I've had many of you send me pictures of my print books in libraries, and I've also sold at book fairs, conventions, and in physical stores. You can choose to use returns, but it's not necessary, and you can choose your discount percentage. You can also bulk order. For example, if you want back-of-the-room copies for live events, which I've done several times, or if you work direct with schools or bookstores, they can order from you. You can order on Ingram and have it shipped directly to the location and then invoice. It all works very well. And the best part right now is Ingram Spark has free book set up for print or ebooks and offers revisions for free on your book in the first 60 days. So those naughty typos that have made it through, you can fix them up. So what are you waiting for? Share your story with the world and head over to ingramspark.com. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons, some of whom I met at SBS this week. Thank you. And uh, my patrons especially support the extra AI and futurist topics. I'm especially grateful to those patrons who've been supporting for years and months. You're fantastic. It demonstrates you find the show useful and want it to continue while we, we tip over 700. <laughs> kind of getting closer to a thousand now like every time I get to a, a big hundred number I think oh is this is this the big number do I stop now and now we're at 700 you kind of think oh gotta get to a <laughs> thousand who knows I'm not promising it but um, yes my patrons definitely help make this uh, part of my business so thanks to new and returning patrons this week Yaz M, Lee Hillier, Colette Harrell, David Greenwood, Lee Cole Ava P. Hunter and Cindy Gauthier. 
And if you support the show on Patreon, you get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only, which I just sent out for patrons this month. It's around 40 to 45 minutes of audio where I answer questions about writing craft, publishing, book marketing, making money, business and uh, direct sales and AI and futurist stuff. Uh, So there you go. You can support the show with a few dollars or euros or pounds or lots of different currencies. And uh, if you're feeling generous, you can chuck in a few more as well. You'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio and uh, you get to ask your questions. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Stephanie Chandler is the author of multiple nonfiction books, a professional speaker and CEO of the Nonfiction Authors Association and Writers Conference. So welcome back to the show, Stephanie. Joanna, it's so fun to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So just an introduction to the audience. Back in 2007, I read your book From Entrepreneur to Infopreneur, which helped me decide to start my own author business. And you've been teaching nonfiction authors about marketing since then, but it has been a decade (laughs) since we talked last in 2013 about book marketing. So for those who don't know you, tell us a bit more about you and your background in books and marketing. Yes, thank you for referencing. I love that we have that connection through that book. So I am a Silicon Valley refugee. I left in 2003 and I opened a brick and mortar bookstore here in Sacramento, California and thought I was going to write novels in the back (laughs) office. And it turned out it was a terrible fiction writer. I just did not have the imagination, which was devastating because when you spend your whole life wanting to write, it was just really disappointing. And I didn't know what to do next, but I kind of took a U-turn and discovered how much I loved nonfiction and the fact that it blends that ability to teach, which I've always wanted to do. So, and I hated running a bookstore, by the way, it's not nearly as romantic as it sounds. (laughs) So I wrote my first book, it was a business startup guide. And I had an agent call and tell me, I like what you're doing, but nobody knows who you are. You need to go build an audience. And I started a website called Business Info Guide, and this is back before blogging was a thing, all right? So I was creating new articles, which was very tedious back then. And every time I created new articles, I was attracting more website traffic. I was building this email list. So a year after the self-published Business Startup Guide came out, I had the idea for From Entrepreneur to Infopreneur, and I sent proposals to three publishers. And Wiley gave me a book deal. So I was beyond thrilled and I was walking the talk. I was selling digital products off the website and building an email list and creating workbooks and ebooks. I mean, before ebooks were a thing, right? Ebooks back then were PDFs. And it just kind of evolved from there. I ended up signing with an agent, I sold a couple more books, and then I got really turned off by traditional publishing and the lack of control and I had titles changed. I had book covers I didn't like. One publisher called and said, we want you to remove a chapter. We don't care which one. We're trying to cut costs. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never letting that happen again. Meanwhile, I'm speaking at writers' conferences and I am wondering, why isn't anybody talking to those of us who write nonfiction? I was at a conference with 350 people. And from what I could tell, I was the only business book writer there. 
And so in 2008, I started my own publishing business. I took back control of my publishing rights and started working with nonfiction authors exclusively. And then in 2010, I launched the nonfiction Writers Conference, which was a three-day event entirely online. And back then we were doing this by teleseminar. Remember that, Joanna? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? And three days on teleseminar, which was unheard of. And I didn't know if people would come, but they did. And each year after we'd run the event and people would say, well, how do we keep in touch when this is over? And I'm so grateful for that because it led to the launch of the Nonfiction Authors Association in 2013. And I built a community and we launched in May of 2013. And in October, my husband died unexpectedly. And it was just absolutely devastating. I kind of checked out for a year and I had one assistant helping me run things. And despite being almost completely disengaged for a year, the community grew. I thought, you know what, we're onto something. There is a need for this community. So When I returned a year later, I really got involved in the community and we've just continued to grow from there. And the conference has grown from there. And it's been a wonderful ride ever since. This was the uh, 10-year anniversary of the Nonfiction Authors Association this year. And it was our 13th Nonfiction Writers Conference. So it's been an amazing ride. Mm, I'm so sorry about your husband, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. uh, I mean, just awful. So, but coming back to business things, uh, it's it's amazing how you, well, I guess, and this is what's so great. Like I said, you and I have been connected for all this time and you've just taken one step at a time into new opportunities. I've done the same. We've both ended up with quite different businesses, but it has been successful for both of us, but there's been a lot of change. So I guess you mentioned a bit about TradPub and going indie, but what have been the biggest changes you've seen for nonfiction authors in terms of publishing and book marketing since you started out? Oh my gosh, so much has changed, right? I mean, I think back to remember when we thought ebooks were going to overtake print books and, mm. and there was all this frenzy around that. And and now we've got AI coming out. And just this morning, there was this news story about Paul McCartney and, and the Beatles may be able to release new music using John Lennon's voice because of AI. So that's been really exciting. We didn't have social media or podcasts or any of these things, Joanna, back when you and I were starting. So, and then there's tremendous competition. There's more books released every year now than ever before. I mean, there's some people are saying a million titles being released a year and Amazon has quite frankly made brick and mortar less relevant, like it or not. So I honestly think book marketing is easier because we have more tools And if you have a really focused plan, if you carve out a niche for yourself and focus on building community, there's actually a lot of advantages to the change that's happened. Mm, Yeah. And I mean, that's my attitude too. You have to make the most of whatever situation. But yeah, we had nothing. It's so funny. People are like, oh, it's so easy for you back then. Like when you published in 2007, I'm like, no, hell no, it wasn't. I mean, that's so crazy. But just a couple of things to come back on. So first of all, traditional publishing. So you advise a lot of nonfiction authors. When is it a good idea for authors who want to go traditional publishing? When is it a good idea for them? And what should they weigh up whether to go traditional or to go indie? Yeah. So my feeling on traditional publishing, I've been fairly soured over that experience just because my personal experience wasn't great. But I also understand 
that it is a goal for a lot of people. It was certainly a goal for me to be traditionally published. I found that being to be very rewarding, but today it's different. So my advice is if you have a book that has broad appeal and belongs on brick and mortar bookstore shelves and it's a and it's a real goal for you, then it may be worth considering, but it is harder than ever to get a book deal. You really have to come to the table with a platform, especially in nonfiction. So if it's your goal, I think that it's worth making the effort. Go through the exercise of writing a book proposal, whether you plan to traditionally publish or not. It's such a great exercise to help you get focused on your book. And then give it a time frame, right? So give yourself six months. And if nothing happens, if you're not able to get an agent or a deal by then, then maybe you return to self-publishing. But honestly, Joanna, I think self-publishing makes a lot more sense for 90% of the nonfiction authors that I speak to. It's faster to market. You'll, you're going to do all the heavy lifting anyway. It's a myth that these publishers are doing all the marketing for you. So you can make more money per copy. You maintain all the control over your work. That was really important to me. So I personally think it's a much better path for 90% of authors. Mm, That's interesting. And then the other thing you mentioned was the amount of competition. So you mentioned a million books, but I think with the Rise of AI also translation and all kinds of other things, there are a lot of books. There's more books than anyone can read every day being published. I've been thinking about this around the value of curation. So in the old days, I got your book back in 2007 because a publisher, Wiley, put it on the shelf in Australia where I was living at the time. And that's where I found it. But now we're in this very busy world. So the importance of curation, I mean, like you mentioned this podcast, for example, I'm a curator with this podcast. I I pick you to come on the show because I value you and your expertise. And so how can authors, I guess, either start curating, guiding things themselves or contact people who are curators to try and stand out? Oh, I love this question. So really, Joanna, what you've done with your podcast is build a community. And I think this is a key, especially in the nonfiction space. I am still a huge believer in content marketing. I feel like every author should have at least one piece of foundational content, whether that's a podcast, a blog, or a video channel on YouTube. I think that it's really important to be producing content and building out your website so that you're attracting your ideal target audience and building a community around that. Without that, you're kind of just flailing in the wind. And then certainly you can also leverage people or or sites and podcasts and things that also reach your target audience. So for example, I talked to nonfiction authors about what trade associations do your target readers belong to. Can you go and speak at those associations? Can you contribute to their blogs? Can you contribute to their magazine or newsletter? So you want to find out where your target audience is spending time to reach them and then bring them back into your foundational content and really build that sense of community. 
Yeah, I think it's this is going to become more and more important. Although you mentioned AI before, and I kind of hope that AI will help us surface yes. our books or will surface our books in a much more nuanced way. Like I've been using ChatGPT to surface quite nuanced things. Like I, I asked it, what kind of books are on the shelf of this character who's a Vatican exorcist? What kind of books would be on his shelf? And give me a list of 20. And they were all nonfiction, but they gave me a ton of other books to read that I wouldn't have found otherwise, which I think was really interesting. So I feel like people despair over the volume of things out there. But I also feel that things will change as we get better tools. I mean, we never despair, do we? There's always something new. No. And I'm so with you on that. I I think there's a lot of fear around AI. There's still a lot of fear around social media for a lot of writers. And there's also trends. Trends come and go. You know, in the U.S., we may be getting rid of TikTok any day now. So I think that it's exciting. I also feel the same way about AI. I view it as a potential tool that really helps us. How exciting that the Beatles could potentially release new music as a result. I am not worried about copyright infringement. I think that there are so many rules and laws in place that will protect us from that if that becomes an issue. So I think we should look for opportunities within these new technologies that are coming on board. For sure. So you mentioned TikTok there. And as you said, there are some states in the US that are banning it and and various government things. But TikTok wasn't even a thing (laughs) when we spoke like a decade ago. And personally, I don't use it. I'm still a Twitter girl from way back. But I guess the point is that these marketing tactics change all the time. But some of these strategies do last for the long term. So what are some, I mean, I guess you've mentioned content marketing, but what are some other long-term marketing strategies that you advocate? I will tell you, I am such an advocate of build your email list. You mentioned Twitter. We had a Twitter account that evaporated overnight a couple of years back. We lost 70,000 followers overnight for no reason. It's not like we were violating policies or anything like that. I spent months trying to get a hold of someone at Twitter to get it back. It just, it evaporated. And so social media to me is rented real estate. It has absolute value for those who use it well, but I would much rather focus on building my email list. That is part of that community building process. That is an asset that you own. Nobody can take away your email list. Even though we borrow a tool to deliver emails, you own that database. And that's also where you have a really engaged audience. So to me, email marketing will always be one of my favorite strategies. And doing things like contributing to those sites that reach your target audience. And also, Joanna, I've become a big fan of Amazon ads. I realize that they're challenging for a lot of people, but we're seeing some really cool success stories in the nonfiction space. Author Mark Paul, he's a memoir writer. He has sold 45,000 copies of his memoir using nothing but Amazon ads. He has no platform whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some strategies that have some great long-term value if we learn to use them well. 
It's funny you mention Amazon ads there and memoir because Amazon ads are essentially keywords and categories. And I know some other memoir writers who do very well with Amazon ads because so few memoir writers are competing for those keywords. Most memoir writers are not interested in the technological platform side of things. So that's really interesting. But coming back to the email list there and the asset that you build. I also wanted to mention backing things up. You mentioned losing your Mm. Twitter there, but I mean, we can all back our email lists up on the sites that we use. As you mentioned, I mean, again, since we first connected, I think I'm on my fourth email provider. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And protecting your data. I also think of when you talk about backups, I just had a catastrophic computer issue with data transfer and the people that did it completely destroyed my data. So backups just make me want to say, please go get Carbonite and or Dropbox (laughs) or both because I now have three times of redundancy on my data. And thankfully I was backed up and I was able to get that data recovered. But yeah, I think our tools are so important. And like you said, if your tool is no longer working for you, there's other options out there. So having those tools make our jobs easier. So let's take a step back to the creative side, because one of the things that I have as a nonfiction writer, and I know many people do, which is I have so many ideas or there are so many things I could write about. Should I Mm. stick it all in one magnum opus? Or what are the top challenges for nonfiction authors when it comes to deciding which book to write? I hear this all the time. And I think as creative people, I relate to this as well. I mean, there's so many things I would love to write about, but is it in my lane, right? So this is the conversation I have with authors is get your lane figured out first, really focus on one niche if you can, because that will make this marketing job a whole lot easier. And Joanna, you straddle different markets. And so it's challenging. Oh, yeah. And, Don't do right? it. <laughs> Don't do it. Right. Exactly. And I've heard this from so many authors who've really established themselves in one niche and then they release something totally different and they're disappointed that it's that it falls flat because it's you literally have to build two different platforms for two different topics. So my advice is. Think about what you're most passionate about and ask yourself, is this something I still want to be writing and talking about in five or 10 years? Because if it's just a passing fancy and it's because you happen to know it, you want to write about it, that may not be a great focused strategy if you really want to build a career as an author. If you're a hobbyist and you're just having fun, go do it. But if you really want to build a career around your authorship, then I think it's important to choose a niche. And I mean, I joke, don't do it, but I feel like this is a personality type. I am someone who cannot just do one thing. I mean, even like this podcast, I've tried to give it up so many times and I've come back to it. I mean, this might even be episode 700 by the time it goes wow. out, I know, which is kind of crazy. And But what's so good is, you, is I have just covered different topics over the years. But I mean, if people are like, well, I don't, want to focus on one thing or I don't want to stay in my lane or I want to have multiple lanes. How can they deal with that? Because, you know, creativity is is what it is. Yes. Well, if that's what you want to do, you really have to build marketing plans for both lanes, right? So you need, maybe it's one focused site for one audience and a separate site. I mean, if you're writing about dog training and you're also writing about parenting, 
there's very little crossover there. And I went through this myself, Joanna, because remember, I started writing business books. I had a business website. I had corporate sponsors. I was speaking on Grow Your Business. And then I was really drawn to working with authors. And there was some crossover there. But at one point, I just had to make the decision, did I want to keep managing two different, entirely different paths or did I want to let one go? And I chose to let the business one go. It was a big decision. I made a lot of money in that space, but this is where my passion was. So if you're very creative and I'm with you, I I need to constantly be doing different things. I get bored very easily, but you want to just make sure you have a plan to reach those audiences. Again, if you want to build an author career. Mm. So you mentioned there that you let go of that other side. And I mean, I do have these two main brands, Joanna Penn, Self-Help for Authors and JF Penn, which is my fiction. But even with my fiction, I do loads of different genres. And I have a memoir as well, Pilgrimage, that I put out earlier this year. And so I kind of do all these things. But I mean, this letting it go, I'm really interested in how you came to that decision. So can you talk more about how you made that decision, how difficult it was, and what was the process? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So letting go of that was really tricky. And it honestly, I've let go of a lot of things over the years. I mean, I let go of a six-figure Silicon Valley career to open a bookstore. And then I sold that bookstore. It was just exhausting to run it. And so letting go has actually been part of my career path for many years. And I realized that I don't operate well when I'm overwhelmed and stressed out. And so there was that critical point where I was running the business site and I was starting to run an author site and it was just not fun. So I think that we're supposed to have a little bit of fun as we're building our businesses. Maybe that's not the only goal, but it certainly is one of my goals that I want to enjoy getting up and coming to work every day. Otherwise, I might as well just go back to corporate America and get another soul-sucking job. So letting go was a decision I wrestled with for a very long time. And ultimately, it it just made more sense because I had to ask myself those questions. Am I still passionate about talking about how to build your small business? No, I had lost my passion. Am I passionate about working with nonfiction authors? Absolutely. And I really thought about life purpose And I really find purpose in helping nonfiction authors because they feel like I'm helping them live their purpose. And so I just asked myself a lot of really important questions and then took the leap and invited people to come along with me. And some did and some didn't. And I've never regretted those choices to let go of things ever. I mean, I left my corporate job as well to to become an author, but it's difficult, isn't it? I know some people listening, they might be wanting to do that too, but like, how do we have the confidence that something is going to rise from the ashes hmm. of letting something go? I love that. So I think that it's really important for me, planning has been key. So before I quit my Silicon Valley job, I built a massive business plan for that bookstore, right? And I had it evaluated by consultants and I built a marketing plan and I did a lot of planning around it. Now, of course, nothing ever goes according to plan, which you (laughs) learned that kind of the hard way, but I had contingencies. I had savings. Same thing when I gave up the business site. 
I had savings, I had contingencies, and I had a plan. And I think that a plan removes a lot of the fear. And if you have that kind of clear path, I'm somebody who likes to see things in writing. I love a checklist. I love just seeing it, you know, projections and numbers, what can be done here, what's the potential. If you build a plan, you can absolutely do what Joanna and I have done and leave your job. If but you have to get really clear about, you know, what that path is going to be. I have a great success story I can share with you if you'd like mm-hmm. to hear one. Yeah. So Dana Manciagli is was a Microsoft executive, a VP, and she called me up maybe five years ago. And she said, I'm going to quit my job and become a job search coach. And I was like, are you sure? (laughs) Like, is that really (laughs) what you want to do? Should we narrow that down? Do you want to be a job search coach for executives? Nope. This is my path. This is what I want to do. So she wrote her book. She got herself a column writing for the business journals, which was a national publication at the time. And then she built training courses, Joanna, and she built a how to get your job course a self-study digital course that she sold for $1,000 a seat to unemployed people. And she got 50 people to buy the course out of the gate. Mm. So that was her first launch. Then she went back and said, I love supporting veterans. She created a course for veterans coming out of service into civilian life. And then she went back to companies and said, why don't you sponsor seats in my course for veterans coming out of service? And I'll sell it to you at a discounted rate of $600 a seat. She's doing multiple six-figure deals, selling seats in her digital course to companies to donate to veterans. And actually, that really brings up a good point, which is you mentioned this lady wrote a book, but that was not the thing, (laughs) actually, that turned into her business or her service. So maybe you could talk about how the nonfiction author ecosystem and business works, because nonfiction authors don't just make money with book sales or change lives with book sales. So what are the other ways? Yeah, it's so rare that somebody actually makes a living from their book sales. But what I love about nonfiction is our books make a difference in the world, right? So you're teaching something, you're inspiring people with your personal story, whatever it is. And that book becomes a tool. So that book gave her credibility in the job coaching space, right? So it's a credibility builder. It truly is a business card if you want to be a speaker. Uh, And you can build a business fully around your book. And that could be consulting or coaching. Those online courses, which I feel are hotter than ever. You can get paid as a speaker. You can create companion products, toolkits, workbooks. I love workbooks. As a reader, as a writer, I'm a huge fan. I created a workbook for the book marketing master course that I teach. And I've been teaching that for several years now. And my students kept saying, this book stands alone. So it is going to be another product that will be released as a book later this year. And that is yet another marketing tool for me, another way to reach new readers, people to attract to the association and my courses. So you create these revenue streams, almost like like veins that are spidering out from your book. And it's by following the things that you enjoy doing. I love teaching. I love writing. So I'm able to build this very sustainable, fun business doing the things that I love to do. 
Yeah, it is interesting. And I mean, just to say like this podcast, I mean, I've sold a lot of nonfiction books, but this podcast has goes out to more people than by each of my books. So sometimes we think, oh, this book is the thing that will change people's lives. But sometimes it's the other things we do, whether it's like you said, speaking at a conference or a podcast interview. Sometimes it's just one line that might change someone's life. So I feel like that's the other angle is that we have to consider that our message goes far beyond the book and not to just be wedded to the book being the only thing. Well said and and completely agree. The book might be the heart of your strategy, but you need to build your strategy around that with that foundational content, whether it's your podcast or your blog or your videos, which by the way, all get posted to your site as blog posts, which drive traffic to your website. And so, yeah, it's building around that, doing the things you love. When authors come to me and say, oh, I'm going to launch a course because this is the hot thing to do. And then I'll say, but are you interested in actually teaching? Does that appeal to you? Well, not really. Well, then that's not probably your best choice. Let's choose a a revenue stream that, that you will actually be excited to do because that passion also comes through to your audience as well. Yeah. So let's just come back to the, we talked earlier about standing out and the competition in the market. And one of the other issues with nonfiction is, I mean, you mentioned the lady with the career coach, like career coaching or helping people find a career. This is not original. It's not an original thing to do. And when authors are like, oh, well, I've got this idea, but there's so many other books on this topic. So how can people write a book on a topic that's been covered before, but make it something only they can write? Oh, yes. Great question. So there's tons of competition. And then there's a lot of authors, especially new authors, struggle with that imposter syndrome. But there's other people doing it and they've been doing it longer than I have. But my perspective is, you know more about your subject than your target audience knows, right? So you have your unique perspective on your topic. I think it's essential to study your market see what's already out there and how are you going to do things differently? I could have created another community for general writers, right? And had a ton of competition, but I narrowed that focus because that is where my passion lied. And there was a need, there was a need in the market for it. And therefore my books are able to to stand out a little bit. So look at what's already there and how you can contribute something unique and different to that conversation. And I say niche, niche, niche all the time. I really believe if you narrow that focus, you can actually reach more people. Mm, And it's often related to who we are and our personal story and our voice. I mean, you and I, I, we don't know each other very well, but we have similar interests and we think similarly in many ways. But even just the fact that I am British and you are American this actually creates quite a big difference between us and in terms of our experience in our life. And so even if we write a book on exactly the same thing, we will always bring a different angle. And I think people forget this, that they are special just because of who they are, right? They are. And Joanna, another real life example comes to mind. I have a friend, Carl Polachek. He decided to become a consultant for people who own IT businesses. This is a tiny niche, right? People who own IT companies, computer technologists. 
Mm. Now he could have become a general business consultant and help people grow their businesses, but he decided to focus on IT companies. And he's basically a rock star in this niche. He puts himself on tour. He speaks all across the US and the UK. He's got a really big following in Australia. And he's done this because he's narrowed his focus and he has a few others in his field that do the same thing. But guess what? They're all friendly, just like you and I are. I don't view anybody as a competitor because like you said, we all have something unique to bring to the table. And I so much rather work together than work against anybody. So let's honor the fact that people are all attracted to different things, that we all have different perspectives. And there is always room for a new voice in a genre that even could be very crowded. And I wanted to come back on the kind of mindset stuff and the deeper side of things, because you mentioned imposter syndrome earlier. And mm-hmm. another thing stopping people, is, well, for me, it's always been fear of judgment. So mm-hmm. what will people think of me? But the other thing that people have is the f- fear of failure. And I want to come back to your bookstore experience because you left this corporate job. You bought a bookstore and basically you failed. You failed at that career. And I say this as someone yeah. who also left my corporate job originally to start a scuba diving business. I don't know if you <laughs> know that about me. I started a scuba diving business and then I tried property investment. So I have also failed at other careers before I found this one. So it's not just like, oh, leave corporate job, make a success as an author. That's not how it's been for either of us. But how do you deal with, and I guess also recommendations for other people, dealing with failure if whatever plan we make doesn't work out? I think failure is part of being human and it's also part of this process. I mean, I think about book reviews, right? You're never going to get 100% perfect, great book reviews, right? Nobody's (laughs) ever going to love everything you put out in the world. And that I remember early on arguing with a book reviewer on Amazon. Never do that. (laughs) Yeah, never do that now. But way back then at the beginning, this guy had written a rave review for one of my books. And then the next book came out and he panned it. And I was so, so devastated and hurt by that. And so I've really had to evolve from that fear of failure and fear of letting people down. You know, one of my Silicon Valley careers was as a technical instructor. I used to teach software classes and develop courses, which by the way, was a skill that's really come in handy today. But one of our rules when we taught a course was we would drop the bottom 10% of reviews. And if you saw trends in the 90%, the top 90% of people saying there's an issue with your course or delivery or whatever, then you would address it. But you're always going to have, you know, 10% is a high number too. Maybe 5% of your audience isn't going to agree with you. And at some point, you have to accept that. And then you have to just be aware failure is going to happen. I've launched courses over the years that fell flat. I mean, there's been countless failures, but there's also been countless wins. So focus on the wins and don't let the failures bring you down. Read Brene Brown. (laughs) She's my favorite author because she really helps you overcome a lot of those fears. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, my first book was called How to Enjoy Your Job or Find a New One. So it was a classic leaving corporate book and that failed miserably. And that was back in the day, as you said, before eBooks. And I printed like 2000 books and I basically sold about a hundred of them and put the rest in the landfill. And (laughs) I mean, it was a super failure in so many ways, but the lessons I learned 
uh, help me decide to embark on this career. So we learn the lessons, but I almost wonder if when we fail at something, so for example, my scuba diving business also failed. But what I learned from that was I don't want to run a scuba diving business. <laughs> Whereas what I learned with my first failure of a book was I want to write books and I will figure this out. So can failure and then the decision to carry on almost be a signpost that this is the right direction? Yes. Yes, it can. And, you know, I think about that bookstore and how much we struggled to to build it that first year. But what it led me to do was learn how to do online marketing. I learned about search engine optimization and how to advertise online. And that helped make the store profitable. But at the same time, that became a skill that I would use till to this day and learning that I was not meant to be locked in a single box of a space for eight hours a day was a huge <laughs> lesson that I didn't like talking to the general public every day and being robbed and having just all kinds of crazy things happen in a retail business. Yeah. And so I often like to say my path found me. And I think part of that is listening to the failures and listening to the wins. I never set out to be a speaker. I really didn't want to be a speaker. I was exhausted from doing all of that in my corporate career. And then the books come out and you get asked to speak and you realize, oh gosh, okay, I'm going to have to learn to be a good speaker. So listen to those lessons and take them in stride. And things like overspending when I ran the bookstore, I overspend on, I can't even tell you how many print ads and things like that. And then I learned about internet marketing and how I can optimize traffic to the website. And it was a game changer. So I think you're 100% right. Those failures help lead you to the next step. And letting go of things help lead you to the next step so that you can focus on what you're feeling more called to do. Mm, it's, it's so funny too, because when, when I printed all those books back in 2007, 2008, and I did all the things we're told to do, I did the press releases, I got on national TV in Australia, I got in the national newspapers, and I did sell like 100 copies. And that's when I also went, screw this, I'm going to learn digital marketing. And right? yeah, later that yes. year, set, set up this website and then started a podcast, got on Twitter. And again, it's like, I was like, what? why am I spending all this effort for so little return? I think there's a better way of doing it. So you, I think you're totally right. But it's so funny. Our journeys have been quite parallel. <laughs> yeah, because we've had the same failures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we really have. And it's so funny because that brick and mortar thing, because obviously, I mean, the scuba diving business, same as you. I mean, I was renting a boat. I was paying insurance. But we were buying fuel. And I mean, talk about the costs of filling up a boat oh. with fuel before going out for scuba diving. There was the weather. And that was another thing. I was like, I am not running a physical business. Again, like you, it was like, I am not right. going to run a business that's dependent on the elements. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And yes, the freedom that we create with online businesses is just phenomenal. And the brick and mortar thing, Joanna, I always flash back to a book signing that I did with the chicken soup for the entrepreneur mm -hmm. soul. And this years ago, right? But they had put us 10 steps inside the local Barnes and Noble. We had local media coverage that morning. It was a Saturday morning. It was amazing. And we thought, oh my gosh, this, there were, I think, three or four of us who had contributed to the book. So it was a huge launch. And in three hours, we sold eight copies of that <laughs> book. And I swore from that day, I will never do another bookstore signing again. And so, you know, those another failure, a lesson learned. 
right? That's not the way to sell books. Go speak to an audience and sell 50 copies at the end of your presentation. That's a way to sell books. Yes. Well, I still haven't done a book signing or any kind of signing actually outside of my own events. So I totally agree with you. And I heard that from people, so I didn't even bother trying it. But we're coming to the end. And I did what, given that we've been doing this so long and we also, we mentioned AI earlier, but it feels like we're at the beginning of perhaps the next 15 years. It's been 15 years since I read your your book Mm -hmm. from entrepreneur to infopreneur. And I feel like this may be the beginning of the next sort of 15 years of change like it feels to me like 2007 2008 the early days of ebooks and digital publishing and social media and all these things and now another change but many authors are concerned for the disruption and all kinds of stuff so how can authors have an attitude and kind of surf the wave of change rather than drown in it ah uh, you know there's i think fear fear just ruins so much fun for all of us so Rather than fearing AI and all the trends that are coming, I really believe that we should look for the benefits and the opportunities within these changes and ride that wave rather than getting drowned by it. I'm seeing a lot of fear in our author community around what's happening in AI and these things. And I just would rather look at it from how can I leverage this? Like you said, finding a list of books from it. There's so many great ways that we have even yet to learn how to use this technology. And we've also seen so many trends come and go, right? Social media sites, hello, MySpace, you know, (laughs) what happened there? So I would much rather just try to stay on top of what's happening and be open to how it is going to benefit us moving forward. Ebooks, like I mentioned, we were so afraid ebooks were going to take over the market. And now they're a must have, and you should absolutely publish an ebook if you're publishing a print book. And we learned from that. We learned that not everybody wants to read ebooks. And now audiobooks are growing. That audience is continued to kind of expected to continue to grow massively over the next 10 years. So look for the opportunities and take advantage of them so that you don't get left behind. Yeah, I think so. And as we've done, you pivot when you need to pivot. If you fail, you try something new. Uh, Yeah, I mean, things will disappear, but you will find the way forward. And I mean, I think that's probably a lesson from both of us, isn't it? Things things happen that we didn't want, that we couldn't control, and yet we're still here. (laughs) That's right. Blessings in disguise. Lessons in all those failures and just keep moving forward. So tell us, what is the Nonfiction Authors Association and why might it be useful for authors? Well, thank you for asking. I'm really proud of this community. We are just focused on educating authors. We have a massive database of templates, checklists, reports, recordings. We even have legal agreements. We send out media leads every week. Our members are getting all kinds of interviews as a result of that, podcasts and blogs. We have a private Facebook group. We recently launched nonfictionbookclub.com, which is so much fun. So we're able to now promote our members over on that site as well. And then, of course, we've got courses. And Joanna, I don't know if you're aware of this, we created basically a professional certification program for book marketing, book publishing, and book publicity, because as you're well aware, 
there really are no industry standards for these things. And we have professionals in our community, you know, virtual assistants, book coaches, things like that, who wanted to have specific steps to build a marketing plan, specific steps for helping an author publish. So we created professional certification. And then, of course, we have our annual conference completely online, done by Zoom. Now we're no longer on teleseminar <laughs> format. We had Cheryl Strait open for us this year. We've had Anna Quinlan, Don Miguel Ruiz, Seth Godin, Martha Beck. So we work really hard to serve the needs of our community. And I'm just really proud of it. It's a lot of fun to build this community. Mm, well, just two questions on that. So what genres, because nonfiction is so big. I mean, it can go from, yeah. like you said, the business book to the memoir. And also, is it global or is it just US? No, for sure we're global. And we've got, I mean, on average, we're seeing eight or nine countries coming to our conference because it's online and they can do that without travel expenses. And then as far as nonfiction genres, we cover the gamut. I would say from our surveys, we've learned that a lot of people are writing health and wellness, business books, certainly memoir and narrative nonfiction. We have historians. We have a lot of spiritual type books. So really the gamut is represented here and we try to serve everybody within their subgenres of nonfiction. Fantastic. And then what about you personally? Where can people find you and everything you do online? Yes, thank you. So really, you can find me within our social media. Although we have a social media manager, I'm the one that responds to comments. I always want to stay connected to our community. So you can find me through nonfictionauthorsassociation.com. I'm actively engaged there. We have a, a very active Facebook page where you can connect with us there as well. And it's just so fun to talk about all of this, Joanna. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thanks so much for your time, Stephanie. That was great. So I hope you found the discussion with Stephanie interesting and that our failures have helped you reframe any of your experiences. And also to note that we are both still trucking after all these years. So remember, you can get my books, Your Author Business Plan, How to Write Nonfiction, Public Speaking for Authors, Creatives and Other Introverts and Career Change are available on my store, creativepenbooks.com and also in all the usual formats in all the usual places. So coming up this week, I have an in-between-isode with Amit Gupta from Pseudowrite talking about, yes, you guessed it, AI for writing and how Pseudowrite has changed in the last two years since Amit was last on the show. And of course, <laughs> ChatGPT launched and so it's all gone pretty mainstream. Then next Monday, staying with the AI theme, I'm revisiting an episode from four years ago. So in on the 1st of July 2019, I put out nine ways that artificial intelligence will disrupt authors and the publishing industry in the next decade. So I put that out four years ago and a lot of my predictions have already happened. That is episode number 437. If you want to go back and listen, it, it might be on the feed, although sometimes they're only 200 episodes long. Um, or you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast and scroll down to episode 437 and listen or download from there. I'm discussing these nine ways uh, with author Nick Thacker, and I'll do an extended introduction with a roundup. And then, of course, I will get back to doing a craft episode after that. In the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. 
You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.